Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast. And we're back with Mike Cobb about the 15 questions. If you didn't catch the last episode, go check it out. We have five questions based around buy what you see. This is all about buying property, buying real estate abroad. This episode, we are focusing on own community. Uh, Mike, great to have you on board again. Ah, Rob, thanks for having me back. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm enjoying the, the conversations. So. Likewise, it's packed full of useful, really useful content. So, you know, really, really enjoying it. And again, uh, thank you for your time. This episode, we're focusing on own community. And what exactly do you mean by own community? Yeah, a gr- great question. You know, at, at, at a probably at, at, at the deepest philosophical levels, right? Sociological uh, you know, levels. You know, people are social creatures. We've always been social, whether it was our, you know, our tribes, uh, whether it was our, you know, our, our counties. Our, you, you, in the last episode, you mentioned the Gunners, the the football, the football tribe. I mean, you know, right? Whether it's our, whether it's our nations. Um, you know, I mean, we, we are social people, and we find ways to be around other people because we enjoy it, we want it, and we and we need it. I think to be, you know, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, happy, you know, in satisfied individuals. I mean, there are always the few outliers who are loners, but but the vast majority of us are are social creatures. And so, part of the the bigger, broader issue when we buy property outside of uh, North America and Northern Europe, the UK, uh, is that you know th- th- there are a lot of great you know sounding projects, right? Great developments, um, but they're ghost towns. Uh, because nobody lives there, and and we'll talk a little bit more about how that happens in a minute with some of the specific questions. Um, but but I always put up a picture, at literally across, and and my backyard where where I do uh, all of my work is Central and South America. So I'm very very familiar with Latin America as a general rule. So my examples tend to come out of there. Uh, but this this truth holds true uh, around the world in in developing areas where people uh, have come in and and purchased property for development. Uh, What tends to happen is, you know, a developer from uh, North America, in our case, or Europe, UK, they'll come in, they'll buy a big stretch of beach, they'll they'll chop it up into home sites, you know, maybe half acre lots on the ocean and some lots off the ocean. They'll run some telephone poles and throw some electric wires up, maybe run water, maybe not. But and then they just sell the properties to people who imagine that at some point in the future, whenever that happens to be, they're going to come build a beautiful home on the ocean and, you know, live out their retirement fantasies, you know, you know, in this beautiful tropical beachfront location. Well, the problem is, is in Latin America and again around the world, there are literally thousands of miles. And, and we've done some we've done some estimates on this, you know, several thousand miles of beachfront property that was purchased by developers, chopped up into lots on the beach, sold off to speculative investors and and future home buyers that literally have one, none, one, or just a few homes along these big swathes of beach. And so in, in my presentations that I make, I put up a picture of this beautiful beach that literally is several miles long there's a road, a dirt road, and some telephone poles, and it's been chopped up into lots, and there's not a house in sight. And, and I ask the audience, I say, okay, 
who in this room here, and something, you know, several hundred people in the audience, and I'll say, please be honest, who in this room right here, right now, would like to be the first house out on this beach all by yourself? I mean, sometimes somebody puts up their hand and I tease them and I say, hey, we got Robinson Crusoe back there. But the reality is that like, that's not what people want when they buy a vacation property or a retirement property. You know, I mean, they might want it for a week or two, but nobody wants to be that house out on the beach all by themselves for years at a time. Very, very few people want that. And so what's happened and why own community is so important as a, as a, as a principle, right? As one of the three principles, right? We have these 15 questions, right? And it's hard to remember all 15 questions. That's why we ask people to pick up a copy of the Consumer Resource Guide, which we will provide to your listeners uh, for free, Rob. And they can reach out to us and we'll send it to them. But, but if you don't have the 15 questions in front of you or you don't have the checklist that we provide, you know, it's easy to remember three simple principles. Buy what you see, which we talked about last time. Own community, which we're going to talk about today. And then the, the next one we'll talk about uh, and the next time we're on together will be know the developer, right? So if we hold these three principles in mind, today's own community, right? Hold this idea that, you know what? We want to be around people to enjoy a quality of life. Because especially if we think about this, if we're retiring, right, from, from uh, uh, you know, our jobs and we're thinking, yeah, I'm going to go retire in the tropics. Well, okay, great. We've just left our job in England right? We've left our neighborhood where we knew a bunch of people. Uh, we've left our friends that we, you know, we enjoy going to football games with, or we play cards with, or we see at the pub or whatever, right? So we're, we're, we're leaving all of those people, our family, our extended family, our brothers, sisters, cousins, nephews, whatever, right? We're leaving all of those people and we're moving someplace new. How do, how do we make new friends? How do we build new networks of people that we enjoy hanging out with doing things with, right, and being social with. Community is the foundation of, of really a high quality of life for 98% of human beings. Again, there are a few Robinson Crusoes and a few loners out there, but, you know, 98% of us want social interaction, and it doesn't happen by accident. There, like I said, there are tons, miles, thousands of miles of deserted beach that's been chopped up in lots. They've been sold. They're owned by, you know, average individuals, right? These lots are owned by average individuals. But, but nobody wants to be that first house out there all by themselves. And so what, what happens is, is these big quote-unquote developments end up being ghost towns. And, and they stay ghost towns for decades and decades and decades. Uh, I know many of them. I've been to many. I've visited them over the last 25 years of doing business. A lot of them are still ghost towns. I mean, there might be one or two houses out there now on, on a mile of beach. Well, again, that's not community. That, that's not what most people want. And so um, holding this principle in mind when we look at property overseas and the five questions that we can ask that dig this out are really, really important. So that's really what I want to concentrate on today is, you know, how do we buy community? How do we own community when we when we when we when we go overseas so uh any initial thoughts on that rob or or anything confusing or missed uh, well being the contrarian i quite like the idea of being the first person 
uh, in, in the first house and having years and years on my own, as long as there's a decent internet connection. Um, you know, we've got stuff like Zoom and stuff. So that's a contrarian point of view. But yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. If I was thinking about, uh, for example, take my mum. You know, my mum loves social interaction. She would, you know, she was looking to buy abroad again. She would, you know, look somewhere where there is some form of community. So, you know, I imagine that, again, as you say, 98, 99%, whatever, a lot of people are going to be after the same thing. And your job, I suppose, as a developer, to an extent, is to create uh, your own community as well. And, yeah, I'm looking yeah. looking forward to this because it's going to be great. This is going to be great. Yeah. Well, hey, hey Rob, by the way, I, I think that, that, that there are people, like, it's a spectrum. It's not, you know, one or the other, right? Some people aren't, well, they're, I guess, at both ends. There are people who absolutely must have, you know, always have people around. There are people who never want people around, right? But most of the people in this in the middle of this spectrum, right? But there's a very practical reason for owning community as well, and uh, it has to do with the distribution of costs, right? If if you're if you're the only house out there all by yourself, all of the costs to support security, electric, water, repairs, all of those things are not distributed across very many people. And so all of a sudden, you know, again, it may or may not be a factor, maybe it's affordable, it doesn't matter, right? But the affordability of of, uh, undistributed costs where they fall to just a very few number of people um, is also a a very practical reality that we've seen over the years too, where, yeah, there'll be the first, you know, three, four, five houses in a project and and literally they have to carry all of the costs for you know maybe a mile of you know a, a square mile of of a project you know but it's just not it's just not distributed equally or or fairly uh because they carry it all so there, there are some practical reasons as well as sort of the community social reasons as well uh, um, basic economies of scale isn't it exactly that's exactly what it is right exactly and, you know, and, and, and then we talk about flat, you know, horizontal development, which are, you know, communities, neighborhoods, stuff like that. But, you know, it can actually also happen in condominiums. Uh, Panama City, Panama is famous for giant high-rise condos that, you know, there may be, you know, there may be, I'll make up a number, 100 condos in this high-rise. Uh, you know, many, most, in, in a lot of cases, are owned by absentee owners who don't rent. And so, you might have like, you know, 10 people in a whole condo building who actually live there and the rest of the units are empty year round. Um, it's, it's an odd situation. It's kind of an odd thing to Panama City specifically, um, but, and there are reasons for that. But, but just generally, again, if you are the kind of person who wants to have, you know, neighbors and friends, you'll see people in the gym or, or at the little cafe downstairs or whatever it is, um, knowing if there are actually people who live in your building is an important factor as well. So it doesn't just happen in horizontal development. Um, it can happen in, you know, vertical, you know, condo towers uh, as well. So just something to be aware of in, in both scenarios. That makes perfect um, sense. Yeah. So uh, n- number six, question number six. So it's the first of today's five, but I'm going to use the numbers of the 15 questions. So question number six, own community is are there any building requirements of any kind? Uh, is there any kind of zoning? Uh, and so, it, again, some of these questions kind of have ancillary. So, you know, is there a building requirement? Because if there's no building requirement and the developer says, yeah, yeah, we're going to, you know, it's going to be a beautiful community and we've got 
you know, you know we're going to build a golf course and we're going to, going to, going to, going to, whatever, do whatever they're going to do. Um, but, but nobody has to build a house. What tends to happen is you get speculative buyers who come along and, and purchase properties because they're going to sit on them for a few years till everyone else builds a house. And then they're going to have this beautiful lot on the ocean with beautiful homes all around them. And then they're going to flip it for, you know, two, three times what they paid for it. The problem is, is that everybody buying in most of those cases is thinking the same way. And so you end up with everybody sitting on their properties thinking that somebody else will build and nobody does. And so it just sort of stays a ghost town. So one of the things to look for is a build requirement when you purchase a property. Uh, you know, again, if, it, if you're a speculator, you'll probably be dissuaded, right? Because it may not fit what your desire is. But if you're thinking, hey, I, you know, I want to build a home for vacation for the next five years and then I'm going to retire and I want to retire down here to the tropics. Well, then knowing that there's a build requirement and that you buy this property and you build a home on it, you know, over the next, say, 12 months, now you've got a vacation property and then you'll have a retirement property in the future. The other issue uh, has to do with uh, uh, zoning, okay? Um, and, and, and again, this, this question really kind of follows through with we need to forget what we think we know, right? What we think we know are assumptions. That's the other way to say it. We come with assumptions. Oh, yeah, the, the local municipality, the county, uh, you know, or the province or the state or even the federal government, the national government, in many cases provides zoning for what can and cannot be built in certain areas. And in coming out of you know, the UK and North America, we're very comfortable with this thought that, yeah, uh, of course, you know, I'm going to buy this property right here and I'm going to build a beautiful home on it. And the property right next to me in the same development with a house on the other side, by the way, there's, you know, there's an empty lot between me and the house next door, right? You know, that somebody's going to come along and build a beautiful home on it. Well, in Latin America, for sure. And in much of the developing world, if I buy that piece of property and I want to put in a, a pig farm, I can do it because it's my dirt. I own it and nobody can tell me what to do with it and, and, and because there is no zoning. So I come along and maybe I decide I want a pig farm and now everything smells or, or, or that's a dumb example because it's probably not the highest and best use. But let me give you a highest and best use that would just infuriate everybody around. I decide that this is a beautiful resort and they don't have an after hours bar. Right. So I build a four story pink lighthouse. Right. And it, turn it into an after hours bar that opens at midnight every night through 6 a.m. Right. And literally right next to my house and, and everyone else's house, I've got an after hours bar that rocks from midnight to 6 a.m. every day. And we would think coming again out of North America, UK, Europe. Ah, they can't do that. Why not? They own the property. They can do whatever they want to with it. So again, you know, is there a build requirement? Is there any kind of zoning that determines what can and cannot be done? And the, and the, and the secondary ancillary to that question is, if there's zoning, who enforces it? Is it the, the local government? Is it the federal government? Or in Latin America, in most cases, is it the developer, right? And so, you know, is there a mechanism by which the developer can enforce the zoning that you're buying into that you agree to. So uh, that's question number six, covered a lot there, but 
Um, anyway, any thoughts or questions on that one, Rob? I'm only thought on that one, Mike, is if you build a four-story pink lighthouse, let me know and I'll come across and have a few club sodas. Sounds like a fun. <laughs> you got a deal, man. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I wouldn't have known that again until you said, because again, as you pointed out in, in North America and here in the UK and probably most of Europe as well, we're so used to the lo- you know, local authority, local councils. Uh, and their, you know, their planning enforcement and regulations, you have to go through sometimes quite a lot of paperwork to suggest what you want. And then they're either going to say yes or no. Whereas in Latin America, it sounds like it can almost be, you know, each man and woman to, to themselves and they do what they want. There's, I like the freedom there is to that. But as you highlighted, yeah. it can lead to quite uh, challenging circumstances. Right. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, we, we do like the freedom and I'm a freedom lover. Um, and, and the reality is, is that freedom should be an individual choice. And in this case, it is. If I want a property where I can do anything I want, and so can my neighbors, you'll have plenty of opportunity to go buy that. There's lots of that around. If, on the other hand, I want to buy something where I'm pretty sure that, you know, my neighbors are going to build something, you know, pretty nice and, and, and it's not going to disrupt me in the middle of the night or whatever, you have that choice as well. That the issue is to be conscious of that choice and that decision, which is where the assumptions really fail us. Like if we come with the assumption that that's the case, then we're not making a conscious choice. We're making an assumption. So, so right. So as a, as a freedom lover, right. We, we, if, as long as it's a conscious choice of a or B, you know, that's wonderful. We just hope to bring that decision making to a conscious level through these 15 questions. Um, Question number seven. So it it kind of flips back to this buy what you see, right? But it it really has more to do with own community. And that's the concept of amenities, right? Amenities, because in in the concept of community, we have uh, in the, the, uh, I guess, the lexicon of the urban planners, right? Which, you know, I've been a student of urban planning now since we, we started our company 25 years ago. And I've you know, I've spent a lot of time with, with urban planning firms and read a bunch of their books and literature so I could, you know, speak their language. In the urban development lexicon, we have things called third spaces. A first space is a home, right? It's our home. The second space is our workspace. And the third space is the space that we use to socialize, gather, enjoy the company of people outside the home and outside of work. And so this idea of third spaces is really important for community. And with, without those things, it's hard. It's not impossible, but it's exceptionally hard for community to happen and, and foster and, and, and for it to, to kind of blossom organically. And so when we buy a property overseas or outside of our home country, certainly in the developing world, one of the things that we want to absolutely make sure of is that the amenities, whether it's golf, tennis, uh, you know, a, a, a cricket pitch. Um, did I say that right? Is it a pitch? Cricket pitch? Um, ooh, um, good question. It's probably a field thinking about it. Field. Okay, a cricket field. Um, or, or, or any type of an amenity that people, tennis courts, right? Swimming pools, pubs, bars, restaurants. All of the places that people would normally get together with friends to socialize. Do they exist? Right. So this is the buy what you see. This is where the buy what you see, you know, principle applies here. Right. 
But in the end, these amenities, these you know, play third spaces of all types, whether it's activities or bars or restaurants, pubs, whatever. I mean, they're critically important to be there because if the developer is gonna build a clubhouse and gonna build tennis court and a pool, like that doesn't help you if you want to enjoy it, you know, next week, right? And so buy what you see is critically important for the immediate use and enjoyment of that third space, that facility, that amenity, that pool, clubhouse, restaurant, whatever it is. Um, but, th- but they have to be there for community to really happen efficiently, effectively, and organically. And so uh, understanding what they are, are they there? Uh, and then we're going to get to how they're paid for later in another question. But, um, but, but that's also important. But that, that's, the, that's the, the fundamentals of question number seven. What type of amenities and, and, and enjoyment facilities are in place for us to get together and make new friends when we you know, vacation or, and or retire someplace new? Yep, I'd say that makes perfect sense again. Uh, I think the great thing about going through uh, not just these questions, I'm sure, you know, in episode three and, you know, uh, episode one as well, it's a lot of it. You could, I suppose you could look back in hindsight and go, actually, a lot of that is is common sense. Um, But some people obviously think differently. So it's good that we've got these questions to go through in depth to give people an idea of how to, you know, again, think outside the box and, you know, get asking the critical questions really important. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it, exactly. And I like that outside the box because we are definitely thinking outside the box here. Um, you know, question number eight, uh, again, this one can kind of fit with buy what you see or own community. And we touched on it when we talked about uh, infrastructure on property infrastructure, but it has to do with state-of-the-art telecommunications. And, and uh, again, because we're, we're, we're moving someplace new, we're leaving our social networks from the past behind, chances are for the vast majority of us, we've made deep friendships, whether they're you know, at work, in our church, or our sporting clubs. Uh, we've got family, presumably back home, extended family, children, grandchildren, maybe. Um, you know, the, 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 the state-of-the-art infrastructure that allows us to maintain those relationships is critically important. Uh, and again, so this could kind of be by what you see, but but we put it here because the community that we're leaving is truly just as important as the community we will be building. And so we want to make sure that we have the means to continue to maintain the relationships and the community that we physically left, even though that we haven't emotionally uh, or or relationship wise, you know, left. So uh, that's question number eight. Again, is there the bandwidth, for lack of a better word, uh, to allow you to maintain the relationships in the community from where you came? All right. Question number nine. Uh, this one, I mentioned it earlier in the amenities section, whether it's you know, restaurants, clubhouses, swimming pools, you know, soccer fields, playgrounds, what, whatever it is, right? Or golf courses, all of these amenities cost money but there's also another element and 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 we touched on it with the idea of ghost towns and that's things like security right is it a gated community and and, and if so you know there's there's a gate and then presumably there are security guards um you know it, again and this this is something we kind of bring out of north 
uh, North America, Europe, UK, is that you know our security is going to be taken care of by you know the, the, the municipal government in the form of police or constables or or sheriff's departments or w- whatever the local law enforcement agencies are that provide you know our you know day-to-day physical security from from theft or, or whatever right just general crime um, in Latin America the the local crime uh, prevention uh, institutions are usually very cash strapped uh, there's not a huge budget for it. And if we come along and we build a condo tower or we build uh, a development, you know, we need to supplement whatever is there because, you know, th- th- their resources are stretched thin. They, they can't do what a uh, municipal government in the, in, in the developed world can do in terms of resources. So we have to provide that level of what I would call municipal security because the municipality can't. It's not that we're any you know, less safe. It's just, we have to understand that in the, in the, in the developed world, the municipality steps into that role. And in the developing world, the developer or the, you know, the homeowners association, property owners association, condo owner association has to step into that role. Uh, so the, 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 the real thing that we have to ask, here's the question. This is a long way to get to the question, but here's the question. Are the homeowners fees slash condo owner fees, you know, are those fees, here's the key word, high enough to support the amenities, infrastructure, security, municipal functions that are being provided? Now, the reason this question is phrased, you know, are these fees high enough, right, is because, again, coming out of the developed world, we're so used to regulatory bodies, you know, telling a homeowners association or a developer, hey, you know what? We want to see an actual budget. We want you to put in a a sinking fund, a reserve fund. We want you to overestimate, blah, 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 blah. blah. And the fees that you put in your homeowners document or your condo owners document, because they're regulated by some government agency, are probably pretty correct. I mean, you know, I, I would have faith in it. If I'm buying a if I'm buying a home or a condo in the United States and they hand me a condo owner's document and it says I owe three hundred bucks a month, well, you know what? I can feel pretty comfortable it's three hundred bucks a month. In the developing world in Latin America, you know what? If the developer says, you know what, I think we're gonna throw ninety nine dollars in there because nobody's gonna argue with that. And the developer's main job is to sell real estate. And so whatever they can do to make selling real estate easier, i.e., low fees, because nobody wants to pay fees. I'm a, you know, I own property and I own condos, I own homes, I pay condo fees. I want them to be as low as possible. I'm a human being, just like everyone else. Economic rationality. The problem is, is that without a government agency to oversee that and say, whoa, 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 ho, 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 hold on, Mr. Developer, how are you paying for all this stuff for $99 a month? You can't do that. There's nobody doing that. So here's what happens. The development, and I've watched this happen too. In fact, uh, in in my presentations, I actually have a a slide that a developer uh, sent to uh, a big list of people, and I happened to be on his list, where he said the annual fee for the maintenance of his condos was $199 a year. I mean, 
like there are swimming pools. There are big public areas. There's a building to maintain. I mean, there's insurance. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you have to factor in security on and on and on and on. I mean, here's what's going to happen. I already know because this is what's happened many times over the years. The developer sets a fee of $99 a month or $199 a year or some number that's so ridiculously low that all the buyers go, woohoo, I love it. That's the best deal I've seen. And when the developer's done selling the real estate in two years or three years and puts all the money in his pocket and flies back to, you know, London or, or you know, Ontario or, or, you know, Denver, Colorado, where they're from, and the homeowners association has to pick up and go, holy smokes, we can't do all this stuff for, for $99 a month. It's going to cost, you know, $350 a month. Well, the developer's gone. They've made their money and they split, right? Now there's a whole bunch of homeowners who budgeted $99 a month and it's not even close to enough. And, and if there are any major repairs, there's no sinking fund. So not only did your fees go up to $350 a month, you also got a special assessment to redo something or other or six things that didn't get done right. And that's another $4,000 that's due next month. Well, you didn't plan on that either. So this question is so important. And again, it's one of those questions that we don't like to think about. We don't like to ask because nobody wants to pay more, right? We all want to pay less, but we have to be smart consumers in a buyer beware environment. When we buy property outside a highly regulated environment, UK, Europe, North America, it is buyer beware. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, here's a list of all the things that the developer says the homeowners association, the condo owners association is going to be responsible for. And if they tell me the fees, $99, I pretty much can know right out of the gates, that ain't enough, right? If they tell me it's $200 a month, you know, probably want to get out the calculator, do some figuring. They tell me it's $300 a month, you know, in most cases, you know, that, that sounds about right. They tell me it's $500 a month, probably going to get out the calculator and do some calculating to figure out why it's so much, right? But, but we, the consumer, have to be responsible for figuring that out because there's nobody looking over the developer's shoulder. And if we don't get that right and we're just happy to pay our $99 a month, we probably get to do that for a few years. But then there are going to be giant assessments and giant increases in our fees, and we're not going to be happy in the future. And that's just not right or fair. It's the way it is in buyer beware. Um, we just need to be smart consumers uh, up front. Caveat emptor, buyer beware. That's the main. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. That's exactly right. Um, you know, and then uh, the, the, last, the last question for the own community uh, really is, what about green belts, common areas, and the future of the development? And, and so I'm going to tackle the first two, the green belts and the common areas. It, it kind of goes back to this idea of both amenities and homeowners uh, fees, right? Uh, you know, again, parks and, and common areas, uh, green spaces, they, they add a lot to our life experience. They also significantly contribute to property values and, and the sustaining or sustainability of property values. And so, you know, knowing what the developer has planned, I mean, if the developer says, yeah, we got these beautiful parks here, 
you know, make sure that, you know, that they are truly common area that the developer can't come along, you know, next year and go, whoa, tell you what, we're going to throw some condos in here because, you know, they can sell, you know, 25 condos and make a bunch of money. But now, you know, the, the view of the beautiful park and trees that you had is now the back of a condo building, right? So again, understanding that from a property value standpoint, from a common area standpoint, how it ties into the, the homeowners association, condo owners association fees. Um, but, but just knowing that parks and green spaces uh, are, are, are a big part of community. It, it's again, these are places that people can get together, sit under a tree on a bench, hang out, have a picnic. You know, the kids can come and throw a Frisbee, kick a soccer ball around, whatever it might be. Um, these are important third spaces. Uh, and then, you know, sort of as a segue into our next uh, session, you know, this idea of, you know, knowing what the future of development is, you know, hinges on knowing the developer, which is the next five questions, Rob. So we're, we're, maybe it's a good place to, to leave it. And uh, if you have any questions about own community, we can, we can go there, but, but certainly we'll pick up next time with, you know, uh, know the developer. Yeah, Mike, thanks for that. I've, I've certainly learned uh, quite a lot of, uh, you might have heard me scribbling some notes there in the background. Can we just do, uh, as we did on the last one, and as we will do on the next episode, just give a very quick summary of those five questions just uh, so people can go away with that securely in their mind. Absolutely. So uh, uh, question number six in own community is, are there any build requirements and what kind of zoning exists uh, to protect you from, you know, properties not being, first of all, not being developed, right? Having a ghost town because nothing gets built and or uh, people building things next to you that would not be to your liking uh, or to anyone's liking. Again, zoning being the, the, the issue there. Question number seven uh, is what kind of amenities already exist, whether it's clubhouses, swimming pools, tennis courts, bars, restaurants, golf courses, uh, whatever it happens to be. What are the amenities and third spaces that are available for people to enjoy today? which also kind of goes to the buy what you see, right? If, it, if it's there, it's there. Uh, you don't have to wait for it to be delivered. You don't have to worry that there, you know, maybe it will be, maybe it won't. Um, if it's there, it's there, buy what you see. Um, but recognizing the importance of these third spaces, uh, the clubhouses, the pools, the tennis courts, things like that, for our ability to create new community, places we can get together with our new associates, our new, you know, new neighbors, uh, to build new friendships and new community in our new home. Uh, question number eight, uh, is there enough bandwidth in terms of, you know, technology, uh, internet bandwidth, uh, broadband, whatever it happens to be, to be able to maintain the relationships with our previous community? Again, we're, we're picking up in many cases, moving someplace new. We want to be able to maintain the relationships we've spent a lifetime building uh, back home. And, and in order to do that, we need to have uh, good, high-quality uh, telecommunications, and we need to have the bandwidth to be able to do that. So does that exist? Question number nine, are the homeowner's fees, condo owner fees high enough? Again, there's no regulatory body that oversees this to make sure the developer is being honest and transparent in the fees that they, uh, they set as a homeowner's fee or a condo owner fee. It's us, up to us as the buyers to do our mathematics, to do our analysis, to just look and see if we think and we believe that the fees that 
are going to cover all of the things, whether it's the golf courses, tennis courts, restaurants, security, uh, all of those things are high enough to pay for everything going forward. Uh, and, and, and we have to be responsible to see if the fees are high enough to cover that. And then the last thing is, you know, the parks, the open spaces, uh, the common areas. Are, are these things truly common areas? Have they been, you know, deeded over to the homeowners association or the condo owners association so that they can remain in those states uh, for the long term? Uh, again, very important places for community, uh, but also important for uh, the, you know, the property values and, and our enjoyment of our new home and our new community. So uh, that's it, Rob. And by the way, uh, you know, if, if folks want to get a copy of all 15 questions in the Consumer Resource Guide, uh, they can certainly send an email to info at ecidevelopment.com. And just in the subject line, just write Rob Podcast Consumer Guide and we will send them a copy, a complimentary copy of the uh, Consumer Resource Guide. So. Mike, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for, again, really useful, um, pragmatic and precise uh, you know, advice there. I uh, really look forward to part three, which was Know the Developer. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Property Nomads podcast. Feel free to go and check out the website at www.tpmpodcast.com where we've got an excellent blog amongst other bits and pieces as well. Please do share this podcast with friends, family and people within your network. And if you're able to leave a review on iTunes, we would be eternally grateful. Until next time, adios.